episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where we seek to broaden our cinematic horizons. I'm your host, Scott. Uh, we're kicking off year three of our podcast, Woo! which is kind of crazy to say. Why? Uh, Tim is raising the roof. <laughs> For a, an audience of Year none. three of our threesome. <laughs> and our threesome uh, is, is no more, actually. I have a... It, this, this I'm is, leaving. No, he's not leaving. In a way, this is a special episode. Special episode. Despite not being an actual special episode. Special. It's uh, <laughs> it's just a regular episode, but we have regular. Damn it! No, Fuck yeah, we're back. We need something different. Uh, no regular. No, <laughs> um, no it, it, regular it should be regular episode. <laughs> okay, from now on. Yep. It's uh, but uh, this is we, this is special because not only am I joined by my usual uh, face chopping partners in crime, Joel Lewis. Hello. And Tim Gerard. Hi. But we are also joined by Zeke Perez. Hello. <laughs> and we are joined by Zeke, not just, you may remember him from our special guest episode we had with him, where he brought us the phenomenal bad times at the El Royale. It was so good. We had so much fun, we asked him to join us permanently, and he has graciously obliged. Zeke, thank you. Thank you for we having me. We are all so happy to have you. If you can insert the John Wick, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You had that thing. I'm ready. This is why we brought him back. This is just so great. So this is the first... Prepare for a lot less lulls of silence, listeners. So this is our first episode where our threesome becomes a foursome. Mm -hmm. Um, Feels good. Menage a cop. (laughs) I want to make a joke about it being year three and then losing the number three or something. Mm. But I I, I don't have it ready and it's not coming to me in the moment. So... uh, the beginning of our third year in this particular cycle, uh, we're back at the top of our new cycle, it's new selection cycle here. with Joel. <laughs> and yeah. we used to take turns picking Joel, then me, then Tim. We're just going to be Joel, me, Tim, and Ren Zeke. He's graciously slotted onto the end. <sighs> I know we're a bit far in, but for those of you who don't know, Movie Mumble is a monthly movie exploration discussion podcast, kind of like a book club, but for movies where four friends take turns picking a movie, watching it together, and then talking about it. Um, that's it. That's it. There's no rules. Pick anything you want. The general idea is that we get more out of these films when we share them with people we care about, and they open our eyes to new things, and, and they bring us films we wouldn't watch on our own. And You know, just the whole experience is, is great, and it's so much better than sitting in the dark on our own and looking for something on Netflix. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sad. And so we take turns. We're back at the top. Means Joel was our movie selector this month. Joel brought us Eyes Without a Face. Eyes Without a Face. Or Les Oeufs Sans Visage from 1960. French film. Yes, sir. Why he said the title in French. (laughs) (laughs) I practice that like all day at work. I'm like, this is the way to say that. So we begin our podcasts with uh, the movie selector used to flip a coin. And the last two remaining hosts would, one of them would call it, and the winner or loser would uh, get to or have to decide who gets to or has to explain the film. But now, of course, there are four of us, and flipping a coin doesn't work. We instead have a die to roll, a six-sided die, a fudge die, it's called, meaning that despite it having six sides, it actually only has three outcomes, negative, neutral, or positive. This gets us a fair selection of three. Uh... So, so we hope. our movie selector is going to roll. That's Joel this time. Woo. And then just in order, uh, I'm negative, Tim is neutral, and Zeke is positive. 
That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's fair. And uh, the winner of that die roll will get to determine who among us gets to or has to describe the film. So that's the new system. It's just going to be a die instead of a coin. Woo! Um, anything else you want to add before we jump in, Joel? This is not as fancy as the coins. That's true. But that's okay. I like your coins. Eventually we will get gravity fudge dice, and then it will be oh, so good. <laughs> then your mics will explode. Yes. All right, here we go. Inaugural. It is positive. So Zeke. I had a feeling. You, you get think? well. You get oh. to pick. You get to yeah. pick who doesn't. <laughs> who gets to? I'll you take are it. allowed to pick yourself. Yeah, I'll, I'll if you take want. it. Sure. Oh, look at this I, graciousness. Well, yeah, I don't want to throw him under in. the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw That's myself under the bus. Making alliances <laughs> early. <laughs> I like yeah. it. All right. Uh, so tell us about the film. What do you think the plot was? It's like Twilight Zone, and then. Uh, an episode of Ex- Extreme Makeover goes wrong. <laughs> um, it's it's and the there's more a little talks, bit. The more I think, I'm glad we brought him. Away. <laughs> I'm like, why have we been doing this without him so long? <laughs> so long exactly. There's a little bit in the back half that I'm kind of fuzzy on, so you guys can help me with that. But sure. main plot is uh, surgeon who's kind of a mad scientist sort of surgeon. Uh, his daughter's in a car accident and. In attempting to recreate her face through plastic surgery, um, he kind of takes out victims along the way, uh, missing girls in air quotes, right? They're girls that he. There was another lady whose face he fixed, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, that went well. And then after that, he sucks apparently because he yeah. can't seem to get it right. But he got one right, and he's like, "I'll do it again." Yeah. So he sends the assistant to kidnap girls, takes the girls takes their face and then puts the face or tries to put the face on his daughter who has eyes but not a face as the <laughs> title would suggest <laughs> and she's just kind of she's got like a like a mike myers mask sort of thing that she wears almost yeah, and that's pretty good uh, she just walks around slowly and creepily and like looks at you and uh yeah and then the surgery and all the fun stuff so yeah, that's good. <laughs> I w- this is actually what I was prepared for too. Although what I would say I would simplify it. It's face off meets human centipede meets get out. <laughs> oh, get out! Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some get out vibes from it for sure. <laughs> I'm, it's cool. You said Twilight Zone because watching this time, I was mm-hmm. totally thinking of that episode, Eye of the Beholder. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. very indicative of that. Yeah. Um, so with with his assistant, it's not that her face was totally fucked up that's right so she that's had right. a partial reconstruction which he was able yeah. to nail and the daughter that's why the at it's one a, point right she's like well my yeah. face was total yours was just right a little banged up so yeah cool so i discovered this film in my like tendency to to consume everything once i'm interested in a thing so in my horror kick i was it's still going on um i was watching the episode of movie fights on youtube um the the main question was, what movie should Jordan Peele remake? Mm. Um, and I think this was before it was announced that he was going to do Candyman. Um, and then the, I don't know if they're, the competitor, I guess is what they're called. They're not called hosts on that show. Um, Sasha Pearl Raver? Raver? Had suggested this movie. And the way she described it was just like really eerie and really cool. So I rented it and was really creeped out by it. I told you guys that I had watched the um, this director's first film project was um, Blood of the Beasts, which is a 1949 documentary on slaughterhouses and a, like not mechanized slaughterhouses. 
No. So I watched this. I watched all. Forty nine is kind of all you need to know yeah. there. It's, it tells you enough. I thought about bringing that as like a a, a moose bouche to this, but I, I don't know that we would have kept Using our the Hannibal references now. It's 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 very visceral and terrifying. And watching that after this, you got a sense of why the viscera and the 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 detail of gore in this for nineteen sixty it's pretty sophisticated yeah. for gore. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and so. Watching that, you kind of get a sense that Franju is very meticulous about anatomically correct and trying to make things... He's all about realism. And I, I was watching it again um, this afternoon, I guess. I watched um, Judex, which is an, a later film of his, just kind of following what he does with film in terms of their realism. And I was noticing as uh, the scientist or the uh, surgeon comes home, we see every step of his entering the inner sanctum of his home. He gets to the, he drops off his assistant, he goes in front of the garage door, we see that door open, him go through, that door close. You see him go into the inner part, that mudroom, and that door opens and closes. And then each step, you see all of the things that are walling in his daughter, but you also see every step of that process. So it's presenting it as real to life as possible. So when it gets to the point where he's removing that girl's face, that's a long sequence. I was noticing watching it again that it, it does think it's time. It lingers. Yeah. Yeah. And you see every suture that goes into the edge of it. You see the initial you see the uh, pencil ring, you see the initial cut, you see the detailed cuts, and then you see it come away from her m- bloody visage. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just really interesting that he kind of sets that up earlier, that he's gonna take you through every meticulous step of every mundane thing and then when it gets to the horror he's presenting it in the same way so he's kind of putting them on these equal stances that this is how these things would carry on in real life it's really interesting and I mean later in the film you see when he enters or leaves like you kind of get a more accelerated pace of that because you've already been there you've seen that so you you know the long journey that's there but he he takes his time with those things which is really interesting Mm -hmm. um yeah, I, I just watching that actress and what's her name? I need to eat a scope. Mm. She is haunting. She carried the film, really. She's she, and you had said about Tom Hardy watching her before yeah, Bane. Like to become Bane. we don't know if that's official, but like it, she conveys so much emotion just through movement. This kind of twisted, scared, delicate, yeah. but also sinister. I mean, when she picks up the scalpel in that last sequence, you don't know if it's to set her free or to do the carving herself. Or just to kill her even. Right. So it, it's just, it's terrifying. And that face is so uncanny valley. That mask is so well executed and just enough off and eerie that it, it, it's terrifying. And the one sequence where you see her face without it. And we don't even really you see You don't. It. And it's such a great use of obscura that it's like so horrible that you you can't quite picture Focus, it. Yeah. And it, it's 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 horrifying. I had forgotten it was that earlier in the film that we see that. Um, so it's something that just stuck with me, and I was afraid to watch it again before we watched it again because it was like didn't want it to give me nightmares just because the the methodical way she moves, that how her eyes emote and how her it, it's just it's terrifying it, it's for 1960 for a horror film to have that visceral response from me was i was very surprised 
Um, and I mean, there's there's corniness in it. There's little things that obviously that's a body double. Even with her face, you can cut the second time watching it, you can see that it's rubber. But it it's so they focus on it so heavily that it's like uh, it, it, it's really visceral. So that's me talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was great. I will I will confess it wasn't as shocking as I expected it to be, but not, you know, you, you mentioned we should probably finish eating before mm-hmm. we sit down to watch, and I, it is that there are a handful of things I've, I've seen that are really genuinely were nauseating or shocking or what have you, but they were... They were not typical, is the thing. Right. The more I watched, the more I learned that they're, like, literally the only one of their kind right. or what have you. And some of those things I saw way too young. <laughs> so as a result, the first thing you said was, oh, I thought about those. And then, it, like, I watched this and went, oh, that's not so bad. <laughs> but then, you know, the more the film went on, it was the, no, this is, this is still pretty bad. <laughs> you know. Well, um, oh, God. Sorry, I just, there was, there was this strange sense of relief at first, almost. <laughs> it was a little, little... Also uncomfortable in a different way. That's also you know? the great thing about what, having other people watch horror films for the first time. I'm finding is that like, there, even the 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 gasps of relief are are invigorating as like introducing it. It's like they were really worried about this. I described yeah. it like in a way that was terrifying. So that was cool. But what were you gonna say? Zeke? I was just gonna second what you were saying. I think it was very unsettling, but I wasn't quite terrified maybe that's because it's a nice summer day and there's still light out yeah. uh, it was dark when I watched the year. I was yeah. by myself yeah. right. and drinking but, sort of, <laughs> sorry please no just yeah but at the same time there were definitely moments right so the the uh, heterographed scene where they're doing the surgery you know it makes you think in 1959 in the theaters how did people respond to right. that mm-hmm. you know because this barely as, made it through the censors wow. um, I was thinking about that when we started because for most eras of American cinema, I roughly know what I'm going to get based on what right. the laws yeah. were and norms were at the time, mm-hmm. but I obviously have no idea for French. Well, that's the thing. Like For the American release, they had to take a major censorship cut. Mm. I don't know. I think this is the original print. Were they They were still under the Hays Code at the time? You know? I wouldn't be able to tell you. I don't know. But it, I, I was reading that today that it was like, <laughs> the American censors was like, this is not going to fly, yeah. so... That was another thing coming in. I was, I mean, this is my first non-American, I guess, horror film, mm-hmm. and so I wasn't sure how that was going to compare in terms of, you know, is it jump scares? Is it gore? You know, what what is it, and what makes mm-hmm. it different? And I think I got a good feel for that. And then, so that scene, and then there were some oh. other parts, like I said, towards the end, or just with how she was, she was walking, that were very. I mean, she's just slow and steady, and just like a presence there, that. You know, definitely gave you some chills for sure. Mm-hmm. What is your experience with foreign film in general? Pretty non-existent. Yeah, I don't think there's too much there. So this yeah. is a because I was going to say early felt, one. I can't speak to how this compares to classical American horror, genre-wise, mm-hmm. but it felt very similar in its construction to American films of the era too. I even mentioned whenever we were in the bathroom to Joel it. Structure, just structure and sequence. Yeah. It reminded me very much of Night of the Hunter, which I've been talking about since episode one and mm-hmm. haven't shown everybody yet. Um, <laughs> but just in that, the nature of those films of the day was to not overcomplicate with hordes of subplots, but then to also not like stretch the film out. I, I mean, long films are great, 
I love films that are long and that take their time to breathe. I've talked about how Tarantino will let two characters like sit in silence between two sentences for 30 seconds <laughs> and how that just works in a way that other films don't. But on the other hand, lots of films feel this need to stretch themselves to two and a half hours and this, people didn't need to do that, you know, once upon a time. And it's just, it's comfortable. And this whole film, much like Night of the Hunter or other American films of the era, that runtime was just comfortable, right? I didn't feel like we needed anything to be longer or to linger on something else or get some more explanation. But I also didn't feel like we rushed our way through the film. Right. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, there's, there's those long, lingering shots. And her motion, sure. like, if you speed any of that up, it loses its creepy edge. Yeah. Long, I mean, long shots of her just sort of floating through rooms yeah. very slowly. But it didn't, it just it felt right. It's, it's very much like, <sighs> the mummy walks like that. Frankenstein walks like that. The the slow seduction of Bela Lugosi's Dracula moves like that. But this is such a different ethereal nature to that because it's such an innocent face. Mm-hmm. But it's a the tragic, terrifying shape. face. Yeah. And it's it's not that she's trying to be intimidating. It's almost like she's a doll and she's delicate and she's trying not to hurt herself. Whereas every like you get the kind of lumbering, slow this is a reanimated corpse walk with zombies and with Frankenstein, same with Imhotep and the mummy. And with Dracula, it's all about the seduction of eye contact and those kinds of things. So it, it's following from those those examples of the classic horror film. But because it's in this very specific um, vessel who's doing the, the lurking, it has its not own lurking, flavor. But, yeah. Like, yeah, it, but I, my point was sort of for Zeke's benefit. No, for sure. It doesn't differ hugely no, from sure. the American yeah. films of the era in my experience and there's one subplot and it's <laughs> intercon- it's <laughs> very right. close um, <laughs> in proximity the idea of the but like you Zeke I was not sure what to expect because it was foreign because yeah. I was like well I know what we would say if this was America right. but it's not <laughs> so. and what was the runtime on this was it about an hour 20 hour 10 it felt on the shorter end but like you said in <laughs> yeah, a good way it's it's films just used to be short okay. right yeah. films just used to be shorter yeah because they didn't bloat themselves right. with things, you know. And again, not that like there are plenty of long films that need every minute, but that some films today kind of forget that. Yeah, you can just you can just just be what you are. And yeah, call it good. I've got to say, I, I I really liked the the doctor, the surgeon. He was almost the opposite of his daughter in the way he moved. It's because very he direct. sort of. He's sort of dead the whole film, mm-hmm. and at first he gives that lecture totally unfeelingly, yes. and then the police yeah. call, and then he goes and identifies his daughter's body with no emotion, right. and you know comes away, and and the whole thing he just sort of moves like it's it's very mechanical. All the emotion of motion is in the daughter, and there's yeah. none of it in him. But then everyone else in the film moves normally, and it's it's sort of he was pouring everything he had into trying to restore her. Right. I don't know, I just that he felt off to watch him move too. Discomf- discomforting in a different way. Her discomfort came from it just being unnatural, the actual physical motion, but his discomfort came from like a well there's a man driving that thing but I there's something that isn't clicking, you know, left. right not much left. Mm. Uh, He's really interesting It's kind of like He's almost a proto-horror researcher 
doctor character. I'm thinking of Loomis in Halloween. Same kind of un unyielding. Will do anything to prove his point to whatever end. Like the the idea that he's more interested in success than any kind of. It's it's all about the ends justifying the, ends the means. Even physic, the physicality of that character. He's kind of like a, a bear of a man who's also this professor. Yeah. Which is, is how I would describe Loomis in Halloween 2. Halloween 1 and 2. Um, but. Tim, you say things. <laughs> well, well the, you know, as much as I joked about it, I definitely saw, like, like I do feel like Human Centipede was, was very much... Um, inspired by this film, mm-hmm. and but and which which is you know again not as a, a criticism of this film, but like once that was in my head, the it definitely made this film less scary. Like number one, because the guy's doing it to try to save his daughter, which he's doing fucked up things, but you empathize with him. You definitely, you know, do. yeah. Whereas in the Human Centipede, like the guy's just fucked up, and it's just like, well, I did this to my three dogs, so now I want to do this to three people for like no good reason whatsoever. Um, and like you know the fact that like in Human Centipede, like he he shows to the people what he's going to do to them. Right. So like it it's almost like he's kind of getting off on that horror on on on, on you know it's being done almost for its own sake. Yeah, and you know and, and but and for the sake of wanting to freak them out, like you know because like in this, like he captures them and they well ideally would have just stayed under except for like they kind of wake up and it wears off. Right. Yeah. But, like, he's not doing it to be like, ha-ha, I'm going to do this thing to you, and you're going to hate it. It's like, okay, I got you, okay, do the surgery. And, you know, for the most part, you know, getting, like, back to that whole machine-like part of him. Like, he's very... Getting the things he has to... The ingredients he has to gather to work to help his daughter. And, like, almost cold. Like, the only coldness... He had to switch off so he would be capable of doing these things to these people. Right. But, like, you know... But but whatever concern I'd be like, you know, like, when he's, like, sweating, it's probably... It's more the stress of, okay, I have to get this to work, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh... Yeah, but, but yeah, like, having to kind of turn off from the bad things he's doing, whereas I feel like in Human Centipede, like... Where he's like, yeah, like I'm, look what I'm gonna do to you. This is gonna be fucked up, and you're gonna hate that, you know. And um, but even like kind of like to a degree, kind of the way it turns out, where like um, you know, it's almost like his his quote unquote creation turns against him, kind of thing. You know, even that part of it. Um, so yeah, it's almost like someone saw this and was like, okay, how can we make that fucked up so it'll actually scare and gross people out nowadays? And it's you know like. You know, and you know, as much as we were joking, oh, we're gonna put your face on your face. It's like, oh no, we're gonna put your face in her ass. You know, like it's so kind. Of, there is. You that. remind me to circle back a little. Zeke, you also mentioned it wasn't quite as grotesque as you were expecting. I had a similar experience with the taxi driver, hmm. because for the longest time, the only thing anybody would ever tell me when I brought up taxi driver is they'd go, "Ooh, wow, yeah, that's a violent movie. Ooh, man, that was so so violent. Ooh, like just." That was it. That was the t- sum total of my experience. Mm. So finally, I sat down and watched it. I was in college. And it was really good. And 90% of that movie is bloodless. Until, like, the very last scene. Yeah. Where mm. some people get shot. And there's some blood. It's, it's Especially good. for its time. It's more, you know, I mean, James Bond shoots somebody and he, like, falls over, right? In the <laughs> old PG-13 Bonds of the era. 
You know, this was a lot more like he, they shoot and, you know, blood hits the wall. But I was walking in there thinking about films like, like Kill Bill, mm-hmm. with literal fountains of blood, or like Saving Private Ryan, with completely eviscerated people, you know, that soldiers are crawling through to get to cover. Mm-hmm. And no, didn't come close. <laughs> so what is it to say it's not a violent film? Like, sure. But just that the people telling me about it had apparently never seen anything else even remotely like you know yeah. band of brothers right all this other stuff just i feel like this had is a similar the, sort of sense of relief i guess i think this is the third film of mine in a row that i've mischaracterized <laughs> that's a bit strong i think i don't know to the, its you know. detriment but i'm, I'm yeah. glad like yeah. it seemed like you guys enjoyed it oh absolutely. it wasn't as disturbing as mm-hmm. i made it out to be I mean, it was unsettling, certainly. Yeah, and I'd rather you overwarn us than underwarn us, to be honest. But yeah, and I appreciated that you didn't, at least with me, you didn't give me any background or I, I any didn't plot. To these guys either. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was just you know, don't look into it. Just we're going to come in. Three of us are going to come in cold, and we're going to find out what it is. And um, yeah, I appreciated that. And it, you know, like I said, it definitely does give you the creeps. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to think about how it stacks up with other movies in terms of quote-unquote scariness. Or, mm-hmm. And we were talking before we even started the movie about horror being subjective and, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just different, whether it lands or not, and, and what really makes you scared and what makes you stay up at night. And yeah, I think that's probably different for each of us. They, right. they struggle. They don't have anything else to fall back on, typically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. That's where they put all their eggs. And I think for me, like... So it, I'm interesting with horror movies because I don't think I'm a horror movie person, but at the same time, when I sit down and talk with someone and they say, well, have you seen this? Have you seen this? There are quite a few that I've seen, but I don't necessarily seek them out. And growing up, I was always kind of like, you know, if, if there was a trailer on TV, I'd turn it off, or I was always like hiding behind my fingers. Um, so there's, I think the movies that I try to avoid that get me are like the, you know, the exorcism movies or things like yeah. that. Um, but this kind of movie I really appreciate at a deeper level than being scared like I, I enjoy the story and I enjoy the plot and all the cool things it does it's, it's more suspense than fright yeah yeah they both obviously horror can encompass all sorts of of anxious emotions <laughs> you know I definitely align this more with like a Silence of the Lambs or a Manhunter mm-hmm. than I would like even Texas Chainsaw or uh, I think one of the the ones you recommended me that I haven't watched when I was starting my horror kick was The Omen, and I still haven't mm-hmm. watched that. And it's possession stuff is is one that doesn't quite appeal to me, and I don't yeah. know like, and that's the thing like I'm tr- I'm as I'm going through these films, I'm trying to figure out what does scare me. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Pet Cemetery traumatized your yeah. ass, <laughs> yeah. and watching. I mean, I'm also like far older than you were when you watched it for the first time, and I was. As I was watching, I was trying to figure out what the sequence was that fucked you up, and I was like, "That's still pretty scary." She Zelda, <laughs> Zelda, yeah, yes, that was terrifying. Zelda. Yeah, fucked me up, and I was in college when I saw that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really, I'm interested to see how they did that with the remake. I, I don't like did the remake come out yet. Yeah, it's out. Yeah, it's been out for a while. Mm. It, it kind of just flew under the radar. I guess it wasn't yeah. all that. Did they just stop advertising it. Yeah, mm. but like, and I, I'm still trying to figure out like the things that creep me out. I mean. Texas one and uh, Halloween, the first one are, are, and I think I'm I'm more leaning to slashers. I guess I think I, I think I find those 
characters interesting and sometimes funny when it's Freddy or not, well Freddy is funny but he's also a twisted fuck but like Jason is the Mr. Magoo of the slasher like he just trips and falls and fall <laughs> like he's strong and he's ugly and he's like twisted and he'll kill people in creative ways but he'll also fall off the porch <laughs> back into a bush like that's I don't know I'm, I just enjoy I don't know. I think slasher is the thing that I'm enjoying the most, but I don't know if it necessarily scares me the most. That's the other thing. Is like, yeah, what kind of fright do you enjoy? Right. And then what yeah. kind of fright is terrifying, and you just do you watch that on purpose? Yeah. You know. That's the thing. I was talking about the idea that when when I was little and thinking about horror and avoiding things because of a specific thought of what it was, and now I'm watching all these movies, and it's like there's so much nuance, and it's not even close to what I imagined that it was. And like the jump scare thing is, I hate jump scares, because those do get me, but it's also like cheap. Yeah, There's no substance to it. We're not building yeah. anything. You almost feel annoyed after you're done being scared at a jump scare. Yeah. You know, it happens and you go, ah. You go, and they teased I, it for oh, five oh, times oh, before, yeah, with the thanks, music thanks kids for that. and the cat. <laughs> you know, like, like, oh, come on. Of course, Alien... I appreciate the yeah. jump scares in Alien. Yeah, again. I think it does such a good job of setting miss, them. right? That's like fair. all the rest of horror. That's fair. When it works, it works. Alien's just when such a piece perfect works, movie. It works. We need to watch Alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've all seen Alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen Alien 2 or 3. Oh, we gotta watch Aliens. That's the second one. Two, Holy six. crap. You have a, oh, you would love Aliens. Is that the one I on think the prison really planet? Would. No, it's no, three. That's three. Okay. Three's yeah. weird. Aliens is the James Cameron... It's an action movie. Oh, okay. Game over, also man! Also has horror elements, but it's an action movie. It's great. It's really good. It, in the same way... I, I would say it's likened to John Wick 2 in its good <laughs> sequelness. But it is a different genre, for sure. Yeah, I think well, that's part of why it works, to be honest. No, I... Because yeah. you just had me thinking about horror sequels. And just as a phrase, that doesn't conjure anything in my head. Anything that makes me go, oh man, I liked that one. Halloween, Texas. I mean, it's... Well, okay, I'm very far behind on the classics. So sure. Yeah. But, yeah, so when I say the phrase horror sequel, other than something like Aliens, which bent its genre, what else is there, right? Um, Right. You can make the argument that Terminator is horror, so Terminator 2 is a horror sequel, but then it's it's also also much more action-y, because James Cameron again. Yeah. You know, I, it seemed to be the hack of the sequel 80s. horror, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, Halloween to. I don't really want to get into this. I mean, too Final much, Destination like, we talked about earlier today. Right, it's the same formula. But again, that they, they were settling into something that wasn't mm-hmm. like nuanced and flawless and artistic, but it was sort of like James Bond. They were able to just give you the next one, and as long as it hits the same basic notes and twists the other stuff around. You're gonna at least walk out of there satisfied. If I not, feel like you with know, horror, cheering. you kind of got the, the the first sense of like franchise fatigue and the idea that okay, we know that this title will Freddy sell. versus Jason in space or whatever, right? right? I mean, Jason X in space, but the yeah. or Jason goes to hell. This whole like the idea that okay, we know this name sells mm-hmm. tickets, and we can make it for next to nothing because we just need a hockey mask or we need like yeah. the Michael Myers mask. Was that happening alongside Rocky? Like, Rocky always sold well until five. Well, it's, oh, I'm, okay. So like it that that also had to trade on like patriotism and like mm. the 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 
sport masturbation that those films are, which I fucking love. I love those oh, movies. Okay. Even though four is one long montage, <laughs> all that movie is is montage. It's the same, much like the sports, you also get that with war films. That like You get the, the action-y sort of triumphant war film, right. and then you get the Saving Private Ryan, right. and then you get Rocky and Raging Bull. <laughs> You know, yeah, as, as these sort of. Not just Have you scene. seen Rocky? Uh, no, actually, I, I haven't think, seen a single Rocky movie. I think if you had seen the first one, you wouldn't have said it with such a uh, tone of degradation in comparison <laughs> to Raging Bull. Oh, I didn't. I wasn't trying to put degradation. I just was trying to call it the the upbeat. The other one, and then it's the that's actually dark, a pretty know? depressing movie. I think Zeke can attest to the first Rocky being pretty pretty low right. at moments. Yeah. It's eventually triumphant, but like. Okay. Okay, then the later franchise no, compared that's, to... That's okay, I'll, I, I readjust my <laughs> metaphor. But. No, Raging Bull is a, a definitely more experimental film, and it's, it's definitely targeted at a very different part of that fighter's life. I'd love to present someone like Rock, Rocky, and then one of the later Rockies, by the sound of it, and then also Raging Bull and the fighter mm. as a package, mm. the, whole, the whole group. Just about the different ways you can present fighting movies, in different directions they can go, hmm. because that's what Arrival did with the. I mean, I guess I, I sort of spoiling something here, but so I mean, you've seen Arrival? Not yet. No, I, I'm going to plug my. No, it's okay. I hear Muffet, but I can rephrase it. Arrival's <laughs> a sci-fi, and it's very good. It's about aliens, but there's a. It deals with a, a thing that lots of sci-fi films deal with. But it doesn't show up till the very end of the movie, right. and it sidesteps all the predictable stuff and deals with it in a different way. And it was a little weird because I, like, I, lo I love it. The whole film's beautifully constructed and it's well done, and I'm really glad they did that. Like, huge points to them for avoiding the obvious yeah. and the worn and the tired. But while I was sitting there watching it, when the sidestep happened, I was sort of let down. I was like, oh, but like, I thought you were going to, oh. I, did, I don't know I, it wasn't quite as fulfilling and it not not because it did anything wrong but because it sort of set me up for this expectation and then let me down mm -hmm. it didn't like surprise me with something else equally as good it's sort of like only because I, I love sci-fi so much in general mm -hmm. it was like hey we're gonna we're gonna go get some ice cream today I'm like, oh I love ice cream and we get to the shop and they're like so actually we're going into a pastry shop I love pastries, right? They're sweet, they're delicious, they're still desserts, but like, I was so excited for the ice cream, you know, that it, it felt like a letdown. So like, I almost appreciate Arrival more intellectually than I did as, a, as, a, as an audience member. Interesting. And I need to watch it again, because now that I won't have that, right. that let, and again, not that Arrival did anything wrong. Right. It did it beautifully. You know, it's just, it was their fault that I was like, so ready for the standard worn out, tired trope, mm -hmm. you know? I wanted more of that, and, right. and when they didn't give it to me, it was like, I appreciate that. It's really smart. But, oh man, I really wanted that. <laughs> what it felt like today. Um, but just that the, um, the fighter almost pulls off a similar thing in terms of the fighting movies. Because they don't quite deal with the, the out-of-the-ring turmoil the same way that Rocky did in any of its films, or the same way that Raging Bull did. They sort of, they do deal with that subject, but they approach it differently. Does that make sense? Mm. And if you went into it thinking I, it was... I don't know, I feel like Fighter is pretty similar to Rocky. 
in its dysfunction outside the ring. I think. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. But I mean, but it's, it, it's of a, a very different intensity. No, I think that's yeah. that's fair. There, and there's before a, I go any further, the fighter is the Mark Wahlberg, right? Yeah. Yes, because no, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I just, okay. No, I want to make sure I'm using the right title yeah. here. Yeah. Anybody see Cinderella Man? Mm-hmm. Yes. I haven't seen it forever ago. In high school. Yeah. High school marching band. <laughs> On the, I, we traveled really far, mm-hmm. so we got like coach buses. Traveling. Oh, did you watch it on the bus? We would always watch some kind of sports movie uh-huh. on the way. Who's Is that how you watch or, Drumline? No, or? we didn't. Never, we never watched oh, Drumline. That was on Blacklist. Um, <laughs> what? I mean, Racist. I, not officially. <laughs> just sort of unofficially. It's oh, like, okay. it's got to be something else. We do this all day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We watched Hoosiers. We watched Radio. We watched The Drill Man. So. God, Radio. I haven't thought about Radio. Et cetera. We watched uh, Hoosiers, too. That's a good one. Yeah. That one I was actually really enjoying. Yeah. We, we made it where you're going before it ended. And I was like, I'm going. Whereas others, I was like sort of watching while we rode. And, and, uh, and then, of course, we finished those because those were the longer trips. Right. Know, of course. <laughs> but, um, this is informing my future picking because I'm going to bust out a sports movie for sure at some point. Yeah, so we'll see where I go. Mm-hmm. Or several. Or several. <laughs> or everyone. <laughs> Uh, I think more of my friends need to have seen Rocky because there's so much I want to reference in it that only <laughs> Zeke gets and it frustrates the hell out of me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be one thing if they were bad movies. And there are some of them that are bad. But it, at, at the marrow of them, they're pretty good movies. Yeah. I have seen The Karate Kid. That's that fair. I can, I can That's a great movie. You know, make you proud on. <laughs> I was Actually, gonna really like the remake too. I only only the original. I haven't seen the second or third or eighteenth of the remake. So I, I really like Jackie another. Chan in the the remake. That's where I was like, this man can really fucking act. Mm-hmm. What were you gonna say, Zeke? I was gonna say, um, just, so I was thinking of movies and their tropes and comparisons. Um, and Tim brought up earlier, Get Out. Yeah. You know, as that plays mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. Eyes Without a Face, and I, I was seeing that the whole way through too. Just um, Especially you've got the doctor, right? And he's got his motives. And I think in, I mean, in Get Out, obviously, he thinks he's doing a right thing. It's not. But for him and his family, it is. Right. (laughs) And then, but then you've got the assistant who's just going out and scooping up bodies to bring back to him as ingredients. Um, You know, someone inside who kind of catches wind is trying to escape. I think there's a lot of cool similarities there that I'm sure branch out to a ton of other horror movies with those tropes and you remind me i was thinking earlier joel you mentioned someone was saying people should remake this I'm, i hope he doesn't ever only because i'm sure it'll be great but it will feel so much like get out mm-hmm. especially if it's got all his style heaped onto it i'd i'd rather him do other things no that's fair so that being said though as i was watching this one i was wondering i mean it I think it's because it stands the test of time. I was almost like, what would this look like if they released it in 2019? Right. You know, how would the visuals look different? How would they mm-hmm. change the story? I'm sure they would tack it on back to our conversation about runtime. Um, <laughs> but I'd be curious <laughs> like just to hours. see. I mean, it translates so well now, but if they were to do it again, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so much that goes into a question like that. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the case of the visual and structural and the like how do we make films these days and how does that impact the way they look in, in ways that the audience never knows 
you know, like, is the camera angle wider, so now the sets have to be bigger to fill the lens, and now the rooms look different because they're twice the size, like, there's that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But there's also just that filmmaking is constantly influenced by the society it's in of the time, whether it, whether on purpose or not. Right. And this film may not even look remotely similar. We never really don't know. Right. I know one thing that would be modernized, the fucking soundtrack. Because <laughs> that, <laughs> that ridiculous, like, organ grindy sequence, like, with, with the... And that's the thing. It starts... I had forgotten that that was the soundtrack. And it starts on the assistant dumping a body. And it says... Like, it's so unsinister. What was it? Like, Always Sunny is what you guys were thinking? It was Always Sunny. Enthusiasm. Yeah. Curve. Yeah. And Pee-wee's Big Adventure, too. Yeah, it's just, like, so silly. See, that's funny, because I did think of that as sinister. But now that you're talking about it, because it used to be. That's fair. It was so common of an era... That it has kind of like that car, like sideshow it, it had it had that like, sort of like let's associate something that's supposed to be cute and like make it fair. seem weird and contrast it against right. something creepy and the whole total effect will be unsettling and it it sort of became almost tautological of you feel unsettled because you're used to thinking this is unsettling right. because you've seen 20 movies that do the same thing I'm just thinking now yeah. like if they put I got five on it behind that like it would be mm. fucking creepy like just because <laughs> that song is so creepy because of how it's used in us we also wouldn't see a man slap an assistant, and you wouldn't... Well, you might see it, but it would be played off much more sinister than this is yeah. about them taking the shoplifter's girl's address for use later, nefarious or otherwise. Right. I need to make sure that I'm also woke-poking myself on the things that I'm picking. <laughs> see, it's funny, because I'm not sure I agree with you about the slap. I think we might see that anyway. No, Depending it, on who was making the film, it would either be totally unchanged... Mm -hmm. Because they'd be counting on it to get by as like a, she's getting hysterical because we're hiding corpses and the corpses are other people and we're killing people and he has to just be like, get it together, we need to keep going. Right. And they'd just leave it and, and hope that it would stand. Right. Or, yeah, they'd like rush to make it woke and then really drastically The other thing about... It, one or the other. <laughs> within the context of this film, what that does establish is her loyalty to him. Mm -hmm. Because the reason that interaction happens is because she's feeling unsettled and doesn't want to continue to do the things that he wants her to do but then we see later in the film how indebted she feels to him mm -hmm. and how which much is problematic she has in him. that's true and I don't, I don't think of her as a, a shallow character because of that but mm -hmm. most of her characterization is subservient to a male character which mm -hmm. is problematic but we understand that character we understand her devotion her loyalty and to be fair to the film that could have been a male character and the film wouldn't have really changed. That, she's basically evil. She's just the, she's the assistant character. Right, yeah. exactly. And I, I, If anything, I yeah. would rather it be a woman because it provided a bit of a connection, not just for the victims, she can like pick people up and she's a woman who seems trustworthy, but mm -hmm. like for the daughter, that all yeah. the conversations with the daughter felt this, this sort of shared kinship. You right. know? And it would have added distance if the assistant was a man. She's also that, that shining example of the success of mm -hmm. that, exactly. that scientist, of what what he's capable of and the good he's capable of. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, there are a few moments where she's loyal, but she challenges him, right? That's I right. mean, she, yeah. you know, she when she stands up to him, says, hey, we can, you know, and then he slaps her. We talked about the slap, but then there's the other moment when he's going back into the mausoleum to dump another body and she's standing outside. She's just looking around nervous and almost looks like she's on the verge of tears, right? Just yeah. like she doesn't want any part of it anymore. So I think she teeters. 
because there's obviously right at the end of the movie she comes back and tries to stop the girl but she does have her moments where she it feels like she's challenging him and she thinks you know this is wrong let me take a stand Mm -hmm. to some extent and i think it was important at the end that the daughter was the one standing up to her because if it had been just like another woman maybe she would have let her go right her her wavering you know she wants the the surgeon to make more successes more happy people not to make more dead people and she might have like ah you're right this has gone on too far but because it's the daughter who is going to be the happy one the whole recipient you know it was just like you can't Mm. you can't stop this This is for you and so there was no question of is it right for the person in front of me of course it is so i gotta stop her and then yeah stab because if it had been the victim her whole is it right for this person i'm looking at it might it might we we don't know might have caught who knows that's the other thing there's so many the the other thing i'm thinking about like the separation of all the doorways leading to the daughter's chamber and then there's a secret hidden doorway to the lab so there's so much separation between christiane and the father's process and she's put under when she, the other one's put under. So she she's not been in direct contact. He's keeping her elevated above, like right? Isolated. These two se- world. separated that way. And when she sees the the girl come to, it's this realization: like, look at the horror that like this is miserable, and I I'm I'm not happy because I'm damaged this way. But I don't want somebody else to go through that. And I I'm really interested to see because we don't see a sequence where. The girl whose face was removed, who jumps out the window. Yeah. We don't see an interaction between her and Christiane, but that would be a really interesting scene. I seeing just, your face on somebody happen. else's. I thought she was or find. maybe it's implied that that was the interaction. That my face is that, and I've got to end this. Yeah. Maybe. Like that. That's a really interesting tension scene that we don't even see. Like we don't know what led to her jumping out the window, which was really interesting. Um, I also wanted to say that. Speaking of tears with the assistant, the tears on the mask. At the end. Oh, holy yeah. shit, that was good. Like it, it just really well captured. I, I, I just that's as emotive, as emotionless as that face is. It carries so much weight with just a simple water droplet on right. it. It just was so captivated and haunted by that face. It's insane. I really appreciated the the dog scene that that came from right. because earlier on we get the dog scene where she goes down and she's just very loving and petting each dog and, and the dogs it, don't care about her face yeah no. and it takes the time and she's you know up with each one of them you kind of wonder where that's leading and at the end she sets them free and she kind of you know breaks down in tears she feels and this kinship with yeah. these caged animals and you know I'm sure there's some very powerful symbolism there right with what do the dogs represent and everything but I really appreciated that that little thread that you get a snippet of in the beginning and then you hear their barking all throughout the yep. movie very oh, yeah. uh, aggressive and very dark yeah. but then in the end it turns out to be a happy thing she sets them free and I'm glad it came full circle and closed that out I like that John Woo must have loved this film <laughs> yeah, the yeah. doves at the end I think, liked, I think he liked uh, Franju period because I watched Judex too and doves fi- figure into that too that whole like walking slowly holding a single dove in a hand to symbolize freedom or releasing like it's Blade Runner. it well it's in Judex Blade too Hour, right? like yeah. 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 yeah yeah holy shit yeah <laughs> yeah damn <laughs> R.I.P. the bible 
<laughs> oh, going biblical. Okay. Oh, shit. If we want to talk about source. Okay, Pastor Tim. <laughs> but, like, it, it just the use, I mean, the idea, like, even just face off, period, that concept has to have been in oh, his yeah. wheeled house. But, like, mm-hmm. it's just crazy to see all those threads this second time watching. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is, this is, I feel like, we don't get that sequence in Mission Impossible in the the Mission Impossible Two with the bikes and the in that one room where the doves are flying out before they're like flying and shooting oh. at each other. The movie is so ridiculous, but I love it. <laughs> that's, Actually, a, that's a sorry, please tell. No, I was gonna say something else that occurred to me. And I mentioned this during the film how like his her mask reminded me of uh, Tom Cruise's mask from Vanilla Sky. But I just remember that that was also a remake of a foreign film. That was a Spanish foreign film, Abre los Ojos, which means open your eyes. So it's almost like, you know, and it was a similar sort of thing where this guy gets into an accident and his face is horribly damaged and he's kind of wearing this mask and it's like how he's kind of like operating and, and, it, and it goes in kind of a whole different direction where part of, um, part of it has to do with like, uh, you start to see all these things from like pop culture kind of bleeding into yeah. what's happening and it be, creates this really trippy thing which kind of leads to the what the big reveal is so it's very different from this but like yeah like I, I, again that same sort of thing where it's just like you know all of these kind of correlations like oh like someone saw this film and was like okay like the idea of the fucked up face and something about the eyes okay how can we turn that and make it a different thing uh, Minority Report sort of did the opposite actually because in that also got Tom Cruise um, yeah. <laughs> in that your eyes are everything your face is basically irrelevant mm-hmm. because your eyes are all the computers they scan your eyes and that's right. how they get your identity and they you know like, they advertise to you they know who you are your door access everything's attached to your eyes so Tom Cruise gets new eyes put in when he's a fugitive and then he's basically invisible he's right. still Tom Cruise and doesn't matter. People don't. People even don't Mr. recognize Chan, him too. Are you here for more khaki pants? Right. Like there's this the whole. He's walking through a shop and the ads he gets are just bizarre because there's someone else's eyes and and it was weird that like it's the same face, but he's basically invisible now. Mm-hmm. Basically a whole new person. And then of course at the end he gets to a person who he knew closely and that guy recognizes him, despite the eyes because we're humans and we use faces. But mm-hmm. it's an interesting sort of. Right. You know, flip flop from what you mentioned in the whole sky, where the face is the important part. Yeah, face without eyes. Mm. <laughs> That's a thing. I mean, this also follows from the 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 Phantom of the Opera too. Like, mm. um, it's a thing. Like the mask as <sighs> shield of deformity is one thing. Yeah, and when when you use it in Halloween, Michael Myers becomes the shape through it. Yeah, he is this soulless force whereas with this there's a person underneath there she's so fragile and emotive and that's the thing there's you never get any emotional reaction out of michael myers you could stab him he doesn't cry out you can spit in his face he doesn't get insulted he's just this embodiment of a thing he's just a a juggernaut an unstoppable force yeah Yeah. and i I think that's a really interesting nuance and that's the thing like she's she's not the way the Phantom is bitter and frustrated and there's this rage in him about being the way he is, disfigured yeah. and being abused and not being able to... And he has this beautiful quality, his voice, right? Yeah. I mean, at least in the, the, the musical version of it, that the idea that he's he has this 
light no one can see, and he's angry about it. But with this, it's like she has no control over any of the things that are happening. And so she finally takes control in that last scene. And that's the thing. It's like it's all about the father's control, his control of playing God and making yes. this graph, willing it to work, and it doesn't, and him taking control of the, the vehicle and crashing it and ultimately being the person who damaged his daughter in the first place and it's all about trying to right what he did wrong like it's all motivated by his desire to control the the world which is really interesting and we talked about him earlier about him being a sympathetic character and i'm not sure i agree with that right because he i mean he's taking innocent victims and then when he goes to identify the body he claims that it's his daughter so he can fake his daughter's death even though the other man confronts him and says, are you sure? I think that might be my daughter. Yeah. And he doesn't care. So I don't know that I ever really felt for the doctor. Right. I feel like I understand the motivation. I, I understand like, yeah. the want to right mm-hmm. the do thing that you did wrong and sure. to do anything for your daughter. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. no, that's fair. What does he say? Funny that I should comfort you. Yeah, when you still have hope. <laughs> that was, you know... He's such a cold-blooded you know, asshole. What struck me about that line was this... I almost expected the opposite of, like, that he was going to say, you know, I am the lucky one because I know what happened to my daughter. Interesting. And you have to struggle with that uncertainty. Mm-hmm. But instead he flipped it and he did the whole, well, you have hope. And it felt, only because of what I'd been expecting, it felt sort of like... Oh, I lost the word I wanted, but it felt sort of... I don't know. I lost it. I'm so mad. I had, I had it perfect. Is it like a, a programmed response or no, instinctual? It, it, or? it felt sort of like he was trying to exert control on that guy too, I guess, but forced of like a... Well, he's like, also, you should be happy. You have hope. Like right. I, well, that like maybe. He, well, no, that makes sense because his what's keeping him going is the hope that he can fix it. Right. Right. So that's what's driving him, and that's what's keeping him. Right. That's the phrase I was looking for. Was it felt like he thought he was giving that man a gift? Yeah. No, I with, totally see that. No, no. But you have hope. Right. You're welcome. Right. And whereas I had been, I was of the mind that it was the other way around. That like knowing is better than not knowing. Right. And he had like twisted that yeah. into this I'm being generous and no, oh, I just made my stomach turn like you <laughs> yeah that interaction interaction was great yeah oh, I like that mm-hmm. I was I also thought it was really cool the way that they showed the necrosis of the graft rejecting oh, yeah. through yeah. photos because that was almost more they needed time to pass yeah. right and it was it was almost more gruesome than mm-hmm. showing it like yeah. I'm I almost pictured it the way they did Lon Chaney's uh, werewolf transformation where it's like on screen and you can see that it's matted over as it's changing and changing and changing but this like allowed you to fill in the gaps between those times of like how is she eating is it falling off her face as she's trying to eat and do these other things like it, it, it did stink yeah <laughs> as it's rotting off her face and yeah. it, like it doesn't go too far either it's just like you just see it to the point where it's about to go, and then you're like, "Oh shit!" Like, and then they give her back the mask, and, and that's you the see last her. Nail she's the moved coffin. from the bed to the floor because she's sunk so low. She's face down again. Because she had this taste of it, like yeah. I, I was almost. And when she has her face, she's almost more 
creepy and scary than when she had the mask. Because you can tell she doesn't like it. Yeah. It doesn't feel right. She said, I look like someone who, it looks like someone who looks like me, but comes from the beyond. Yeah. (coughs) She thinks, like, it's not me. It's just someone else's face and it's not right. You can tell it doesn't sit well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then, the extra beauty of that is, they did that whole sequence for, like, eight bucks because they got the actress, they put her in the one costume, which was basically one of like two costumes she wears throughout the entire film. They put her in the same room, and they had one makeup artist and a camera guy. They had to look at the camera, and they went cut. And the makeup artist came in and made it slightly worse. And I said, "Shoot, ten seconds of that." Okay, next. She made it a little worse. It's pretty Shoot, good. A little worse. Makeup, by the way, <laughs> ding, though. Ding. Like that, I, I was totally thinking oh, of Savini in Night of the Living Dead, and like the, the the well, I guess he didn't do he didn't do Night. He did uh, Dawn of the Dead. Mm. And the detail of him being a, a war photography for in uh, Vietnam, Ooh, yeah, like he understood how gore worked. And I, I'm actually, if I ever meet him, I will sputter and stutter a lot. But I will also ask him if he see, saw Eyes Without a Face, and because th- those are really like that would be your your resume to like the next film is like, hey, do we need to do gore? Because I can do it. It's right here. <laughs> like I, I thought those were really really realistic and you kind of saw it sag too you saw the shadow change Mm -hmm. as it was falling Mm -hmm. off her face like that that was really yeah incredible and it they did that whole stretch of movie in like you know two hours one day yeah which is brilliant film craft yeah damn no still she freaks me out she's scary i Maybe it's just me, but like no, yeah, just to contemplate it is uncanny valley, like you said about there's no technology involved, but it's the uncanny valley, and also the claustrophobia of constantly wearing a mask, like and the so way you have to breathe are right up in her face. Yeah, the camera is real close to just like we can't look away, right? You know, as the audience, like no, we're not gonna put her in a room, and you can look over at the window. You're looking at her, right? You know. And the so she's really talk about all of the yeah. mirrored surfaces being covered up, but she's like... And we see mirrors in a bunch of the opening scenes. Yeah. We see mirrors yeah. in the lecture, in the yeah. other office, in the police... Yeah, all over the place. And then we get to the house, and they say, you took away all the mirrors. And that's it. Right. There's not another mirror for, like, the entire film. <laughs> but she talks about, like, in, in the blade of a knife and sparkle yeah. off the china and those guys, in, in well-polished glass. wood. Yeah. She talks about still seeing it my face terrifies me but my mask terrifies me more what yes. a line oh, this just spoke to my creepy soul <laughs> and I love the the initial reveal too you know doctor walks in she's laying face down she turns to look at me and says you know you Where's should your wear mask? your mask more get, get in the habit of doing that and it kind of keeps delaying it and keeps your suspense building and wondering and what she's going to look like we wonder if he's telling her to wear the mask that's healthier and it protects her damaged face but then Thinking back on that now, the way you said that, Zeke, I think it's because he didn't like looking at her either. Right. He couldn't bear to do it. It's the, the direct result yeah. of his failure. Mm. That's really interesting, too, because the assistant doesn't cringe away mm. from her face. Because her belief, her faith is so strong. She it's, sees it as a temporary I've seen thing. horrible things. It's yeah. going to be better, right? I was exactly. you, and you She sees be the better. person with yeah. the temporary affliction. Yeah. Oh, man. That's the thing, like, with a remake, or like, would you take the assistant's face because what a what a great undermining of that loyalty that trust right. like, that, this was the one that worked yeah right 
I could do it again. I can do it again. This one. Give like, that one. would be a really interesting way to revisit it. I, I, I don't know that I would want it revisited, mm -hmm. but yeah, that would be cool. Thank you for bringing this to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for watching. Enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's a fun one. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I, I suppose it's time to move on to my favorite segment of the podcast. Yes, indeed. We're going to put it right here. It is It is time for <laughs> another situational movie <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> situational movie recommendations. Um, so, I have one that is on theme. Yes. What movie makes you sick to your stomach? Or would you show to others to make them sick to their stomachs? <laughs> I guess I'll go first because I was going to overthink it but we mentioned earlier Pet Cemetery and uh -huh. the Zelda scene and that probably is it Zelda for makes me. you sick? I think so. Mm -hmm. I think that would probably be it for me. Just, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I think I saw that when I was probably like 11 or 10. And so that was a pretty young age to be scarred by that. Mm -hmm. um, and just her features and just, you know, you go in that room, there she is. And yeah, I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'll, I'll go with Human Centipede. Like, See, I haven't even seen that. I feel like that's my oh, answer. Okay. Like just the yeah. idea of that. Yeah. My mom won't even let us say the name of that movie around her. <laughs> so, of course, me and my sister do all the time. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 just like there's, it's it's unapologetic. It's just you know yeah, like I said, there is no understanding or empathizing to any degree. No redeeming quality. Like it's not like okay, well that's why he's doing it. It's just like, like wh why? Like there, it's just absolute madness. It's absolute like, you know the 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 degree to which these people are disfigured, and and somehow, I know this isn't the reality of it, but somehow in the movie it's almost like worse that he's trying to keep them alive as opposed to here like you know these people kind of run away and they die like it we not for the character we never get to see what the surgeon would do with someone after he's done with them right because yeah they're like, all dead already right you know? it's, it's, so it's like this convenient way to not have to the think window. about them. right yeah. yeah but like with this no the idea is like well no you're just gonna live like this like this is my goal like there's no okay this I'm trying to improve this person, so you're unfortunately collateral damage. Right. It's just like no, like I'm gonna just mutilate you for no reason, mm -hmm. and just in the worst possible way too. And like when it you know it finally gets to the point where he gets to see his creation work the way he intends it, and you're just like oh god, like the, uh, there's just like yeah, it, it just when you think you're already grossed out enough, it goes to that next level that you know is inevitable. Like you know this is how this is this. Supposed to it's work. It's supposed to work, yeah. And then it gets there, and you're just like, "Fuck, this is worse than I thought it would be," you know. And um, yeah, even even how it ends too. Have you seen it, Scott? Yeah, I, God, forever ago. Yeah, somewhere. Have like you seen half it? watching while I was doing something else? I don't know. Yeah, that's probably a never watch for me. Yeah, like don't don't ever. No one yeah, should watch it. You just it, reminded you know? me of something too that I'm not actually not. I'm not even gonna say. I don't want people to watch it. Yeah, it shouldn't. I'm not, no, like, I don't think it should exist. Right, yeah. But in keeping with my typical theme, I do actually still have two answers. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and they're not that film that shall not be named. Um, I actually have one like that too that I'm not going to name because that's yeah, the other one that makes me sick. I don't want people to go watch it. So, yeah, I don't gonna, want it to yeah. get supported or to exist. So. Right. Um, oh, I think I know which one it is. Hmm. Um, <laughs> well, the, the two sort of 
human gore doesn't bother me a whole lot. Mm. I mean, I obviously in film, I've thankfully never had to experience that in real life right. of any kind, but it doesn't. Animal gore bothers me a lot more for some reason. Um, you know, violence yeah. towards animals. I don't know. Like when when we're talking medically about like procedures or even just in terms of education or I'm reading that book right now about forensic science history right. of forensic science and I'll talk about like the things I did with the corpses without gloves you know right. I don't care I just oh oh yeah okay huh but like Sarah will come back my girlfriend's uh, studying to be a vet tech and talk to me about a thing they learned in school and she's like 30 seconds in and was like no like I can't you're gonna make me puke and it's not even nearly as gross so I oh that's a thing I don't think I have a film that covers that mm. thankfully I guess because you know animals but the things that have really ended up twisted in my stomach didn't almost didn't do it on purpose. Like nausea wasn't their goal. Mm -hmm. It was just the end result of like films like Nightcrawler or The Witch or The Invitation, where the suspense mm. just ratchets up throughout the entire course of the film. And by the time you're at the end, you're so just like waiting for something to happen that your body is just like it, like you're gonna throw up out of just just dread. You know of what's coming like anticipation anxiety mm -hmm. um but so i mean those are those are one sort of i think i think nightcrawler probably did it the most acutely like towards the climax of that film um but then the other one just similarly uh life is beautiful <laughs> honestly again just that like the sum total punch at the end of that film mm -hmm just hit so hard that like my body rejected it <laughs> right like there were so many emotions and all of them were negative you know there was just this like anything else would be better than than suffering this feeling right now gotcha. and there was this inclination to like this physical reaction to it you know i feel so. like zeke can attest to my reaction to this specific scene um inglorious bastards this is the only time I've ever walked out of... Well, no, I walked out of Paul Blart 2. <laughs> um, yeah, that was... I, we went to that movie to hook up, and it was so bad that we couldn't even hook up with it going oh. on in the background. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, God, that was like $14 wasted. Um, <laughs> so, Inglorious Bastards, there's the, the shootout in the bar when they discovered yeah. that the one guy is not... Uh, German, right? Oh, yeah, because he says three like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Fassbender. So oh, when right. yeah, I don't right. remember who does it, but <laughs> when they show, not German. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's all right. When when they stick, I guess it's I guess it's uh, Brad Pitt sticks his finger through the bullet wound in the woman's leg. That's that's the point where I turned to Zeke in the theaters like I gotta oh, get out of here because she gets cold feet about the whole operation, yeah. right? And he's like, "This is gonna is have your, to happen, right?" Because like we're never gonna have another chance. Yeah, I so forgot about that. We we I walked out and Zeke was very angry because he wanted to watch the rest, and he also knew what a Tarantino movie was. He's like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I think it was like two weeks later we went and saw Repo Men, which was yeah, uh, oh, yeah that's. Uh -huh. Who was it, it's? Uh, it's bloody. Who's in that man? That the British one. And is it Forrest Whitaker? Forrest Whitaker and Jude Law. I think that's mm -hmm. who it is. And that's all about like reclaiming organs and shit. 
And we, I sat through all of that. We came out, and we were almost on the same part of the pavement. He's like, so that didn't make you feel gross? Like, why, why did we sit through that one? You couldn't handle this. And I don't know, it was like stylized. There was just something so blunt about, and I, I was it, it's Tarantino gore, which is a and different. And was that your first Tarantino, Tarantino movie, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah a different that. kind of gore, I guess. Yeah. But I, to be fair, it's, there isn't often rhyme or reason to what bothers someone and what doesn't. No, that's yeah. fair. But it, it it was just like, yeah, I just watched them eviscerate a dude for his kidney that he <laughs> isn't paying doing payments on anymore, and that was fine. And it was because of the music and the display of blood was cool. And then you you're the one that introduced me to Silence of the Lambs, mm. and then I watched Hannibal. You're welcome. And yeah, yeah. thank you. <laughs> the the Fanable uh, community also thanks you as well. <laughs> Fuck you, NBC, um, for canceling my favorite show. Um, just it, it, it that was kind of that might have been like the first like real gore I had ever seen yeah. and it was also like I think it was IMAX I don't oh, know if yeah. it was that big but it was like it on was, the big yeah, screen it was sort of unexpected yeah. and I that's the first time I remember like a visceral like that made me really sick to my stomach mm. and then I don't know so much like actually nausea but just like numb and gross and tight knots would be uh, funny games ooh yeah that I can see that there. And I, I think it has to do with just the, the matter-of-factness of the violence. Yeah. That might be another thing that was about Tarantino's. Because it was just so natural. It was like, that is big enough for my finger. And I know it's going to hurt like hell. And it just was like, I don't know. It's just such he a... He spends all this time setting up the character like that. you know? yeah. Because your introduction to Brad Pitt's character is... This is Nazi scalps. And then speech. You know, there's the scene of the drain pipe. And it's like, whereas... The actual Nazi, Hans Landa, who's one of the greatest villains, I would say, in all of cinema. He's very pristine, he's very calculated, he's he very polite. isn't violent to anybody in the entire film, except when he strangles the actress. The one time. In the entire rest of the film, he doesn't, he doesn't even lay a finger on anybody. Mm -hmm. And they, that contrast was drawn very much on purpose. That's fair. You know, so yeah, all the rain comes on down to the basement, and as soon as it's like clear that she's not really on board... Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's sort of unexpected. There's not all the buildup that you got like with the bar shootout, but there was all that tension. And then yeah, you expect a certain amount of flair to Tarantino violence, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And that, especially in that film in particular, there's plenty of flair to the violence. That might so be for the that most unstylistic blood moment. Yeah. In so films. for that one moment to suddenly just shove all his expectations to the side is it hits. Yeah. Yeah. I totally see that. There's yeah. also the uh, Mr. Creosote sketch from uh, Monty Python's uh, Meaning of Life. They just keep shoving food into Terry Jones's face. He's this just humongous fat suit. And they give him this oh. wafer-thin mint <laughs> to end. John Cleese, as the waiter, runs for cover and just... Projectile. Well, I guess he had been projectile vomiting. at this point, yeah. Yeah, he, he started the exchange by projectile vomiting and then get a bucket and then into that and onto the menu and then he has this wafer-thin mint and just, like, this just immense, you nasty me of, uh, explosion. Seven. Oh, that yeah, is which I think fair. That's yeah. the intersection for me of thing that was actually gross that actually yeah. made me nauseous. Yeah. Think there is. That's yeah. the yeah. intersection. Yeah. The the harness 
is one of the most diabolical, un, uh, disquieting, sickening things ever devised mm-hmm. in yeah. film. And what that was so was... gross about that was that it, because like a death trap's a death trap. I, I don't know. Right. Like I said, the gore doesn't bother me there. Right. But was that with this? It was like the the body did this to itself. Mm-hmm. Not entirely, obviously. I mean, right. the guy's responsible, but like that, you know, the the human body like rushed to accommodate, mm-hmm. and that was the the cause of this. It was, quote unquote natural you know biologically mm-hmm. and that was the thing that really just oh my bodies shouldn't do that or are you uh, talking about the that's seven no i mean about, which sin though i mean sloth or sloth and gluttony i sloth guess both gluttony. honestly but well, i what i was thinking was the lust one, yeah oh yeah that one fucked with my head because it just the psychological damage done yeah. to that guy also was really twisted yeah well and that's the one that, that i feel like they also you really have to think like they they set the stage for your mind to, to make piece that together. Yeah. yeah, you know, like like the the one where like oh you know cut off her nose to spite her face. You're like okay yeah that's horrifying, but it's like oh but you have the sleeping pills and you take the sleep, you know whatever. But to just like ha- to go through that process of yeah what that must have been like for that guy and and what you know how that played out and just like oh God. horrible to contemplate. Yeah. yeah. Also like they go to this shop and like built this for somebody yeah this is not the weirdest thing that we've built yeah what the fuck? yeah and then although to be fair i really like that movie though <laughs> like, yeah that also great. points out the difference between you know responsible use and irresponsible right. use yeah. i guess to, to be fair to the builder you know but i'm also thinking of is it blade two with like the the wobbly fat vampire Who's like just hooked up via IV to the blood bags oh, of the storage good. facility, and then you open the the <clears throat> curtains on it, it just like is melting in this globious mass of. That's pretty gross too. I thought of another one too. Was uh, District Nine? Which yeah. part? When it's been a I, I love that movie. Yeah. I haven't watched it in a long time because I thought it was so good. I wanted to let it sit for a minute. Yeah. Well, so, first of all, like, how that, the main character gets, like, sprayed with the stuff, and he starts turning into, yeah. like, one of the, one of the aliens. Shrimp things. Yeah. The prawns. The prawns, the prawns, prawns they yeah. Call them, yeah. But then, like, once the government realizes this, and how they're, like, trying to, like, utilize their weapons, <clears throat> but they can't make them work, so they bring him, and they're like, well, wait, you've got to, you know, and, like, the coldness yeah. of how they're like, okay, put this here, and they have the prawn over there, and he's like, no, 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 and, like, they're kind of shocking him so that he'll, like, pull the trigger, and he's like, no, I'll do it. And, and just how expressionless they are about just, like, moving him through this process, like, oh, yeah, oh, you have this weird thing that happened, okay, you're not a human anymore, you belong yeah. to us, you, you no know. No longer and, a living creature, yeah. Yeah, like, that, that whole, and just watching him, like, kind of morph more and more and more, and it was just like, oh, God, you know, like. Which is which is kind of funny too on the the humorous end of that. I don't know if any of you had watched the newer episodes of X Files. No. They kind of made fun of that whole trope of a human turning into a beast, right? Mm-hmm. So for some reason, it's always that way, right? So they had this creature that was like a wolf that turned into a human, and we were hearing about it from the human, you know, because you always hear like, "Oh, I turned into a wolf, and then I woke up, and right. I had this insatiable urge to like." to like eat flesh and blah blah and and he's like yeah i had this insatiable urge to go get a actually i think it's the same actor who was in district nine really? in this episode that would okay be great. but I he's like you know yeah i had i had this this you know inquenchable urge to go get a job <laughs> and, you know he's talking about all these like stupid human <laughs> things that we do and it became this instinct and how he didn't understand I need it to be famous i need to have hobbies I need yeah to be yeah it was like stuff like heads. that it was it was this like 
really cool twist and this whole time they're like looking for a monster and like this guy keeps popping up she's like oh he's a guy who's turning into a monster it was like no he, he was a wild animal that turned into a human That's and that was funny. like but it was like it's but it's true like cause, you know you don't they don't think of it that and like this guy who turns into this alien creature it's like oh man there's no coming back for that but then it's like well why like there's nothing that says he should be able to completely morph his dna to become this creature so why isn't it possible to morph back and become a human you know and um, I mean, of course, none of that's possible to begin with, but like, but yeah, just that idea. And then, and then when you just kind of see him at the end, he's just kind of living his life as this creature. Mm-hmm. But you know, and I think part of the point of that whole thing was we're looking at all these these prawns as like these refugees. And then when he becomes one of them, he's like even farther removed because he's not even part of their society. Right. Yeah. Like he's just out by himself. Like right. I, you know, I don't, I don't belong anywhere now. You know, kind of thing. And just like. The concept of all that was just so disturbing, you know, like, like every, every piece of it, you know, it was like, you know, yeah. And yeah, it's one of those things you wouldn't think of. It wasn't meant to necessarily be horror, but just yeah. like the way it was done and how realistic everything it was. was and, sick of them. Yeah. yeah and exactly. like, and, and their treatment of the prawns, like who weren't like explicitly threatening, you know, and just like, yeah, we're, you're going to push you here and you stay here and you do this. And if you do this, we're, you know, we're going to come after you and Yeah. I haven't seen it a second time. And part of me wants to. Part of me is like, uh, I don't know if I want to feel all that again. See, I haven't either, but it's because I didn't like it, mm-hmm. actually. I, not, no, I can't say disliked. That's too strong. I just shrugged. Meh. Yeah. I finished, and I went, all right, movie's over. And then I left. And I went home, you know? So so I never, like, bothered to seek it out again. I feel like I, I rented it from the library at school, and it cut out halfway through the movie. Oh, okay. So... I had oh. to find it again and then rewatch because I, I I mean at that point I was hooked I thought it was really really a great allegory for immigration and refugees and just the monstrous nature of man it's got a lot man. of social commentary in it's, it. I, I really like that movie and I, I'm also like I've been more waiting to watch it again because I like I need to be in the right headspace for it mm. and I want to experience again where I'm not thinking about anything else I can just hook into it I'm not sure how it's going to make me feel inside. Mm, right. But that's a good one. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good question, Joel. Yeah. Thanks. Situational recommendation question. Ooh. So those of you who want to puke tonight, go watch those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the ones that me and Scott won't say. Don't. Me, don't try. Yeah, tweet us. Forget it. Please, for little God, <laughs> let it go. Let it go. That'll be a Patreon episode. <laughs> 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 Frozen will be the Patreon episode. Yes, obviously. we all sing it, sing along the whole time. I still and then seen you will that. puke. <laughs> I saw it. I wasn't gonna see it mostly at a protest, and now it's just like, at yeah. this point, it's way too late in the game. Yeah. I, I know it's the fine. beats of the film. <laughs> like, Most of the things that like the crimes people attribute to the film are more of the the fault of the people, the fans of the film, than the actual okay. film itself. To be honest, it's catchy as hell. Like yeah, I understand I mean, the appeal. Yeah. Like, but. I don't know. It's it's like the it's Pixar, right? It's not not just no, Disney. It's just regular Disney, isn't it? I thought it was Pixar. I thought it was Pixar. Oh, maybe. Well, I, I thought because isn't say. she like a Disney princess? I thought like. Oh okay, mm-hmm. that might. I don't know. Whatever. I am constantly confused by that separation. <laughs> Shuri is a Disney princess at this point. Princess Leia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> General, to me, she's always a princess. Fine, I'll just 
quote Force Awakens to no applause. That's fine. <laughs> that's, that's As fine. it should be. <laughs> cool. Hello there, General Kenobi. <laughs> Hello there. Oh, that image I sent you of de-aged Yeah, someone Kenobi. de-aged Sir Alec Baldwin? No. Guinness. Yes. Not, oh. Oh Alec God. Baldwin does not have Thank a knighthood. I was reading about Alec Baldwin today. I was like going to cut that out of the podcast, articles, but I'm leaving it in. In like it's five different good. articles, and I just, it just came out. I'm sorry. I saw his he face. would totally love Alec being called Guinness. a knight, though. If you called Sir him Sir Alec, Alec Baldwin. He's like, I'm Ooh. sorry. Gosh, I feel so bad about that. <laughs> Uh, they de-aged him and he looks great yeah he looks great he's a very very (laughs) attractive man anyway on that note who are you (laughs) sir fuck you (laughs) (laughs) oh man because I was reading about something Baldwin is going to be in I see and then that like reminded me of all his older work and I just that was on the brain today You know what it takes to be a Jedi? It takes balls. Brass balls. Lightsabers are for closers. <laughs> oh, now that needs to be a thing. Glen Gary, Glen Kenobi. Glen <laughs> Jen Kenobi. So you're up next. Yes, I'm up next. Um, Which means you have to decide. I do, I've decided. I, I've been toying, I know, for a while with two other classic, classic American films in this case. But... We've ever, occasionally we've we've sort of settled into two or three in a row of similar vibey films, and I want to not do that anymore. Okay. Partly for our <laughs> listeners, and partly because I find myself bringing up the same conversation topics. Yeah. So instead, I'm going to go modern, and we're going to watch Drive, Woo-hoo. Woo. mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite films, for sure. Top five. I don't like keep rankings on hand. My favorite is Blade Runner. That's it. I keep it number one. And then there's like a, a two through five and a two through ten that are just like a bubble <laughs> that shift around a lot. In no Drive is in order. that two through five section. Yeah. Um, and I understand that Tim has not seen it. Right. And that Zeke and Joel, you two have each seen it once, basically. Yeah. Long ago. But it was like right after it came out. So it's yeah. been a long time since I've seen yeah. it. So it's, it's a neo-noir. Uh, contrary to what the advertising would have had you believe at the time, it is not an action movie. Yeah. Um, which I actually I think District Nine suffered from a similar deal. It was advertised pretty actiony. I remember. That's fair. And they, you know, wasn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Drive very much suffered from that at the time of its release. There was a lot of negative, not like criticism. Critics liked it, but negative, you know, social media. But uh, thankfully, those of us who liked it for what it was and weren't offset, put off by that, were able to sort of pull together and give it a big enough, you know, status that it's generally well remembered. <laughs> I feel like there's a film for me to like characterize you and your taste drive is that film. It really it probably totally is, is, to be honest. You're probably Blade right. Runner is kind of like I, I understand why you like that film but it, yeah. it like drive definitely gets at the soul drive of Scott. Be, we're finally going to have the noir conversation I think, which I've touched on before but I think we're going to have it in depth now. Woo. I think that's going to do it. So. <laughs> the, the noir, neo-noir. The, what conversation? We're going to have the rant. <laughs> You're going to hear the rant finally. <laughs> so... So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I really hope you guys are too. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm to delighted to to have seen this actually. Honestly, I, people talk a lot about old cinema and how much there is and how you should see this, you should see that. And I just this is one that just it was really good, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm really glad to sort of add it to my my repertoire of cinema knowledge. So yeah, yeah it was here. satisfying. 
This one's definitely coming to a Blu-ray collection near me soon. Yeah. <laughs> Own it. Absolutely. And if it's Criterion is doing that, then you know oh, it'll yeah, be they're, well they're, done. They're definitely. Yeah. None of the none of the typical transfer problems right. that other people have. Yeah. You know, they'll do it right. So yeah. Um, so next time is Drive and uh, Zeke. Thank you for joining us. I'm. Yeah, you fit in great, and we love to have you. You're, yeah, you're insightful. Part of the team. You passed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we knew that already. You know? We knew he'd be doing it this year. Just uh, yeah. to, to come around to the end of the episode and just say, yeah, you definitely are. <laughs> so thank you. Um, thank Thanks you, Tim and Joel, of course. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tim and Joel, of course, as always, for joining me. And, uh, thank you. Thank you, listeners. We hope we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Hey listeners, we appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there. I'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official NerdsLitGeek emails, which you can find on the bio page at NerdsLitGeek.com. If you want to find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at Scott underscore W underscore Murray, or on Twitter at Scott M N T G. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Joel T18. And I'm on Twitter at NerdsThatZeke. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard. And on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more.